Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. When it was time for Elizabeth to give birth, she had a boy. Her neighbours and her relatives heard how good the Lord was to her, and they rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they came to circumcise him, and they wanted to name him Zechariah, because this was his father's name. But his mother said, no, he will be named John. The people said to Elizabeth, but no one in your family has this name. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name him. And Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And everyone was surprised. Immediately, Zechariah could talk again and he began praising God. All their neighbours became alarmed and all in the mountains of Judea, people continued talking about these things. The people who heard about them wondered, saying, what will this child be? Because the Lord was with them. Then Zechariah, John's father, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, Let us praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to help his people and he's given them freedom. He's given us a powerful saviour from the family of God's servant David. Then he said he would like to do this through his holy prophets who lived long ago. He promised that he would save us from our enemies and from the power of all those who hate us. He said he would give mercy to our ancestors and that he would remember his holy promise. God promised Abraham, our father, that he would save us from the power of our enemies so that we could serve him without fear, being holy and good before God as long as we live. Now you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High God. You will go before the Lord to prepare his way. You will make his people know that they will be saved by having their sins forgiven. With the loving mercy of our God and a new day from heaven will dawn upon us. It will shine on those who live in darkness, in the shadow of death. It will guide us into the path of peace. And so this child grew up and became strong in spirit. John lived in the desert until the time when he came to preach to Israel. Thanks, Sam. Morning, church. How are we? All right, good to be here, good to be here. One more before Christmas. How are we doing with that Christmas shopping? Oh, that does not sound positive at all. Still have some Christmas shopping to do this week. It's all right, guys. It's what online shopping is for. So it's a weird part of this story, isn't it, that we're looking at this morning. It's a weird part of a very weird story. Time and time again throughout the birth narrative of Jesus and John, we're seeing supernatural, unexpected, weird things happen. And this little excerpt of scripture is no different. Zechariah is a really interesting figure because he's actually only really mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. And we don't know that much about him, really. We only really know two things. He's a priest and he's really old. That's pretty much all we really know about him as a person. He's a priest and he is really old. So old, in fact, that the thought of his wife giving birth is absurd. Like to him, it is the most absurd thing he's ever heard. So absurd, in fact, that even when the angel Gabriel appears to him and tells him this still, 
Even that isn't enough to believe that this supernatural, absurd thing is going to happen. This is, I mean, what more do you need (laughs) to believe that something's going to happen than an angel physically manifesting in front of you and telling you that's going to happen? And still, he doesn't believe. And the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah they'll have a son. And he says, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the obedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? Because I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. You'll not be able to speak until this day happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I'm reading thinking that, like, Gabriel, can we maybe give Zechariah a second? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, can we give Zechariah maybe a second just to fully comprehend what's happened? I'm assuming that this is the first angel he's ever seen in his life. I'm assuming this is the first supernatural promise that he's ever been given in his life. Can we give him a second to process this? And yet, no. Gabriel says, no, I'm going to drop this absolute truth bomb on you. You and your very elderly wife are going to fall pregnant. And look, if you're not going to believe it, hits the mute button on Zechariah for nine months. Not only are you going to be the father of a child in your elderly age, but this child is going to prepare a way for just the Lord. Like this is an insane thing that he's being told and he kind of is like, how can I be sure? I think that this is a fair response to this moment. How can I be sure? And yet, He is struck silent. I mean, you've got to kind of be thinking, like, poor old Zechariah. And yet, Gabriel goes, Zeki, 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 you're so quick to speak and slow to listen. Can't we all be a bit quick to speak and slow to listen? Because Zechariah is going, you know, like, Elizabeth, like, don't tell her I said this, but she's well, she's well beyond her age. Like, there is no bun in that oven. Like, that bakery, it's closed for business, you know. Like, her biological clock has struck, like, 12.45. Like, it is done. Like, this old lady ain't having a baby. I'm realizing, as I'm reading this, like, it seems almost a bit vindictive what's going on, doesn't it? Like, really? You're going to take Zechariah's voice away? It seems like a little harsh of a punishment for having a moment of doubt. And yet, I was kind of thinking about other moments in Scripture where people have something taken away from them. And how something that can, at first, seem like a curse, can actually turn out to be a blessing. Like when Paul is on the road to Damascus and he has his sight taken away. And suddenly, his whole life changes and he ends up being one of the most important apostolic fathers of the early church. This is not different. Zechariah is in a position where he gets something taken away, but the promise of what is to come is so much greater. The promise of what to come is so much greater. And it's a gift. It's a gift of silence. I wonder if this Christmas season, the greatest gift we could give to ourselves is some silence. In this, in this silly season of Christmas when we get so busy with things, 
if maybe a moment of silence is really what we need. Silence to hear God, to trust God, to follow God. See, the silencing of Zechariah was a response to his disbelief, but it was also an enacted parable. It was, it was something that happened, which is pointing towards something greater. See, what happened before this story was 400 years of silence from Israel's prophets. This is what happens. Mitch was just mentioning before Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, 5 and 6. This is the last words that we're left with at the end of the Old Testament. And then we turn a single page and we go from Malachi 400 years forward into the Gospel of Matthew. Obviously, the Gospel of Matthew is first. Gospel of Luke, it's happening at the same time. So when we jump from the Old Testament of Malachi, this promise that we're going to read in a second, and then we jump into Luke, it's a 400 years silence. So what's Malachi saying? What does Malachi write as this promise 400 years before the silence as mitch said before it says see i will send the prophet elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the lord comes he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else i will come and strike the land with total destruction it sounds pretty similar to the words that gabriel's speaking in luke 1 now doesn't it it seems like maybe there's some comparison there in what the prophet malachi is saying and what Gabriel is now promising. It's almost like it's a fulfillment of that promise. But what I find really striking when we put these two passages side to side, the kind of last words of the Old Testament, and in some ways some of the first words of the New Testament, there's, there's something that's really different in it, and something that I want to pick out. Malachi writes, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. It's a bit unexpected. I mean, great. Yeah, I can get behind that. Great, but dreadful. Whew. I wasn't prepared for that. But what, what, what do you mean dreadful? Why is the day that the Lord comes going to be dreadful? See, I looked up the translation of this word because I'm a massive nerd, and it's, it's vahanora, which is actually it's a pretty good translation, dreadful, which I was a bit disappointed about. I thought it was going to be something else. It, was, it means dreadful, fearful, awful. I like that word, awful, because it actually picks up on these two ideas at the same time. Something that happens when the day of the Lord comes and God's majesty is revealed, people are filled with dread, they're filled with fear, they're filled with awe. It's awe-filling. They are filled with awe. They are inspired it's awesome. <laughs> it's an awesome day of the Lord. And this is the sort of majesty that is trying to be unpacked in this verse. And sometimes this majesty is so intense that it comes in a way that we don't expect because it's so big, so much grander and almost absurd than we could ever imagine because it's not natural, it's supernatural. So when Zechariah gets struck dumb, it's because he's struck with awe. He's struck with the awe of the Lord. I want to call today's sermon an awful silence. I still haven't fully wrapped my head around it myself. I can, I can understand that God is love, but God is 
awful and, and, and dreadful and fearful. It's, it's, it's something that we need to wrap our head around because the fear of the Lord is something that the wisdom literature in the Old Testament lifts up as a good thing. The fear of the Lord. Like, it's, it's something which really takes some wrestling for me because I, I can get around my head that God loves me. But the fact that I'm supposed to be so filled with awe sometimes that it's, that it's awful, that it's fearful, that's something that I think we can all be challenged by today. Because this isn't the God that I've experienced and then I allow my experience to start limiting my definition of God. The God who breathes suns, the God who speaks thunder, the God who mutes Zechariah. This is the God we worship. A lot more powerful, a lot more mighty, a lot more awesome than we can wrap our human heads around. So I said there's two things that we know about Zechariah. He's a priest and he's really old. And I think... This is really important for us to understand because he's the archetypal, wise, pious man, right? Not only has he like been around the block a few times, he was like born before the block. He like helped build the block. He is old. And then on top of that, he's a priest. So he's kind of supposed to have all the answers. He's supposed to know what's going on. And yet, that's the problem in this passage. He's an old, pious man who thinks he has all the answers, who has put God in a box of his previous experience and therefore is now going to limit the way that he expects God to work in the future. He's done with discovering. Are any of us done with discovering? Done with discovering how awesome God is? Done with discovering the new thing that God is doing? I, I, I never trust somebody who says that they have all the answers because they're either lying or they're dumb. That's the two options, because we don't have all the answers. It's a fallacy. God has all the answers. We sit under his wisdom. And in this case, Zechariah is dumb, because he thinks he has all the answers. And then he's struck dumb, and he's muted, because he's done with discovering. But God says, behold, I am doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. And Zechariah's response to behold, I'm doing a new thing, it says, but I am but an old thing. What's our response when God tells you he's doing a new thing? Do you say, but I am but an old thing? When God says, behold, I am doing a new thing, do you say, but I am but an old thing. Let that young thing do the new thing and leave this old thing alone. When God says, behold, I am doing a new thing, do you say, but how can I be sure? Is that your response when God says, behold, I am doing a new thing? How can I be sure? This isn't how I've experienced things in the past. How can I be sure? We need to be making sure that we're never done discovering, never done discovering the awesomeness of God, the continually revealing nature of God's fearful, dreadful, awesome love. Because if God was doing things the same way, it wouldn't be a new thing. It'd be an old thing. It'd be the same thing. It'd be a predictable thing. And God, he isn't actually predictable. He's consistent, but he's not predictable. Two different things. God is consistent, but he's unpredictable. And we need to remember that when God is doing a new thing, that we're not going to be putting 
new wine into old wineskins. Because we see in Luke 1, 59 to 61, that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Who are they? (laughs) Do we have any thoughts? Who do we think are they, this group who are coming to perform a circumcision on the eighth day of a Jewish boy's birth? Who's they? The priests. The priests, the community, the people. The priests have come. And they, the religious leaders, the people who are seen to be lifted up as the wise ones, the venerable ones, the elders of the community, they want to stick with custom over commandment. They want to stick with tradition over revelation. They want to stick with religion over relationship. Because they're done with discovering. And they dismiss poor old Elizabeth and they drag out old, dumb, literally Zechariah and go, but but you're, you're going to agree with custom, with tradition, with religion. Elizabeth is going, excuse me, like I went through 32 hours of labor with no anesthetic. We're not calling him Zechariah, okay? The angel Gabriel said we're calling him John. That's what we're calling him because she's listening to commandment. She's listening to relationships. She's listening to revelation over tradition. So they say, okay, 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 woman. Let's, let's bring out the old religious wise man. Let's say, I'm sure he'll get it. He'll understand. He'll understand that tradition Custom, religion, that's what we need to stick by. And Zechariah writes down on a tablet, his name is John. And boom, immediately his mouth is opened. And his tongue is set free and he begins to speak, praising God. And what happens to all the neighbors? Hmm. They're filled with awe. They were filled with awe. This old guy hasn't spoken for nearly a year. And then suddenly, he starts prophesying. He's filled with the Spirit. He sees the fruit of his silence, not just the fruit of his loins, which is an amazing miracle in and of itself, but the fruit of the Spirit of prophecy breaking a 400-year silence. This is what happens when we put commandment of God over custom of people. While his neighbors are filled with awe, Zechariah is filled with the Spirit and he prophesies. What are the customs of man that you're elevating over the commandment of God? I'll say that again. What are the customs of man that you're elevating over the commandment of God? Because God is not a God of religion. God is a God of relationship. And when we get that the right way round it allows space for an outpouring of the Spirit in a profound way, breaking droughts, breaking silences, breaking people waiting. But ultimately, it's it's just so easy to, to keep walking, to keep working, to keep talking, to keep busy. But God's saying, stop, be still and know that I am God. 
just sit in the silence. And that's, that's really hard. That's really hard sometimes because we can be a bit scared of the silence. You know, I, some, I sometimes worry, don't tell anyone this, it's just between you and me, but I sometimes worry that we roster and schedule and plan the Holy Spirit out of Sunday. I sometimes worry that in all of our rostering and planning and scheduling and striving and working and keeping busy, we can schedule the Holy Spirit out of Sunday. And I want to expand that. I think we can schedule the Holy Spirit out of our lives. <laughs> our calendar, our Google calendar is so full <laughs> that there's no space for Holy Spirit. There's no space for God. There's no space for something new. We don't leave room for the silence. We're speaking and singing and sermonizing, guilty, and not leaving room for the silence. Are you scared of the silence? I know I can be sometimes. It's when God's actually going to say something new, <laughs> something challenging, something awful. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to speak and a time for silence. I want to wrap up by reading this uh, little quote by Daryl Bock in his commentary on Luke. He writes, Zechariah is a spiritual man who knows that one never coasts on the basis of past spirituality. God revealed to him through the sign of silence that the time to talk had passed. It was time to listen silently to God. I might call up the band. Do you need to experience an awful silence this Christmas? A silence that leads you back to Jesus and you. A silence that frees you from religion, frees you from custom, frees you from tradition, and heralds in relationship with God. Maybe it's a silence that scares us because that, that, that's really vulnerable. <laughs> Trusting God, like just falling back into the arms of God, that can be really scary. But maybe that's what we need to experience this Christmas. So I've intentionally left a little bit of time for some silence. I think it'd be pretty hypocritical to preach for 20 minutes and then go straight into a song after talking about silence. So I'd encourage you now to sit in the silence. I've put some questions up there if you want to reflect on those in this time of silence. But we are a priesthood of believers the Holy Spirit speaks to each of us uniquely, profoundly, individually, and powerfully. Why don't we sit in this awful silence now and see what God has to say to us anew.
Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.